Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, we're going to do things a little bit different than we're going to be done in the past. We're actually not going to have a guest on the show today. I thought we'd do a little recap of what's been going on. Obviously, there's been a lot going on this year, but we were about a month past the end of tax season, which really is that the case. I mean, tax season's probably never ending this year. Uh, maybe there was a little break after July 15th, which it seems even weird saying July 15th was the end of tax season, but maybe there was a little break after July 15th. But I know everybody's ramping back up again already. September 15th's coming up fast. October 15th's coming up fast. And with uh, you know PPP loan and forgiveness, really busyness is not going to end this year. At least I don't think so. So, but what I wanted to talk about is that we're so we all been so focused on helping our taxpayers, helping our clients with putting cash into their businesses. I mean, you know, PPP loans and IEDL and the mainstream lending and deferral of of payroll taxes or uh, payroll retention credits. We know all these things out there that are available to taxpayers. Now, you know, as tax professionals, tax preparers, we've been tax advisors, we've been helping clients with those areas. But there's some other areas that I think that may be overlooked at times that we have the ability to do the same thing, put cash back into our taxpayers' uh, bank accounts, into their businesses, and help them get through this period we're in right now. We're not only, you know, out there to help our clients, you know, thrive at times, Partly what we're going to need to do is help some of our clients just survive for the next year, whatever it's going to take to turn the economy around. And so, so I want to talk about a few opportunities that we have to put additional resources into businesses. And a lot of this has been around there for a while, but some of this has been affected by the CARES Act. So first thing I want to talk about is the CARES Act and, and cost segregation or depreciation in general. So, so the CARES Act help cost segregation in a couple of ways, actually. But first, let's give you a quick definition of of what cost segregation is. You've probably all heard this term before. You're probably familiar. But just a, a quick recap, cost segregation is simply looking at a depreciable property, breaking that property down into individual components, and seeing whether those components, what portion of that building we can depreciate faster. So we've got a commercial building. You know, we, we've got that sitting on the books at 39 years what we're going to do is we're going to go in and look at that building when, when someone's doing a cost segregation study and seeing what portion of that building that we can break down into maybe five, seven, or 15-year property and getting a quicker write-off. I mean, we're accelerating depreciation. Now, there's actually an opportunity to um, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act and some other things have created an opportunity where we can have some additional things within that building, 179 eligible. And now there's actually an opportunity to have some of that building bonus eligible as well. So the CARES Act did something really that we've been waiting for for a couple of years now, and it fixed a glitch in the system for qualified improvement property. You've probably heard QIP, you've probably heard qualified improvement property before, but qualified improvement property is defined as improvements to the interior of a non-residential building, so basically a commercial building, and these improvements have to have been made 
after the building was placed in service and the improvements have to have been made by the entity that's claiming the deduction for these improvements. Now it excludes, those improvements exclude enlargements, elevators, escalators, and internal structure framework of the building. But QIP, there was an issue when QIP was originally defined in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And not initially defined. Actually, the QIP property, a lot of people think it was probably initially defined in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. It was defined in the PATH Act. But what the Tax Cut and Jobs Act did is took QIP property and tried to roll other depreciation methods into QIP property. So it was taking qualified leasehold improvements, qualified restaurant property, qualified retail improvements, which had their own definition and taking those and lumping them in all into QIP property. The goal in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was to make this QIP property bonus eligible. And to be bonus eligible, you had to have a lifespan of less than 20 years. Now, QIP property in the PATH Act was actually bonus eligible, but it was bonus eligible because there was a special stipulation. Basically, it says it was 39-year property, but it was still eligible for bonus depreciation. So the goal was to make this QIP property bonus eligible. To be bonus eligible, you had to have a lifespan defined as 20 years or less. Well, in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, they did not define the lifespan of QIP property. And because the lifespan was not defined, it reverted to 39-year. And because it was 39-year property, it was not bonus eligible. So the goal was to define it as 15-year property. But because of this, what's been called the retail glitch was out there, that lifespan was not defined. And all of these items that used to be bonus eligible, the, Q, the, the qualified lease improvements, the qualified restaurant property, qualified retail improvements, now we're not bonus eligible because of this glitch. So the CARES Act then came around, you know, months ago now, and fixed this. We've been waiting for it for a few years. Uh, it fixed it. And now what that's created is an opportunity to look at any improvements that our clients did over the last couple of years. And this goes back to 2018 now. We can look back to, to 2008. The, originally, it was defined from September 27th of 2017 uh, going forward. That September 27th, you probably all heard this, September 27th of 17 through the end of 17, we actually had 100% bonus depreciation eligible on QIP property. But then when this new Tax Cut and Jobs Act rules or laws, regulations kicked in at the beginning of 18, that's when that lifespan uh, definition changed and we no longer had that. So this is now we're able to go back to the beginning of 18, look at our clients, look at anybody that did any improvements to their non-residential property, to the interior of that non-residential property, and see if, it's, if it is QIP eligible. If so, there's some significant write-offs that are available to our taxpayers, to our clients that can really help offset any taxable income. And, and honestly, you know, we probably have taxpayers that have some nice profits in 18 or 19. Economy was good. 20 could very well be a down year. Um, and so if we can recapture taxes paid in those years, that's great. But we not only can recapture taxes paid in those years, potentially, the CARES Act did something else that was pretty cool. It allows NOLs now to be carried back five years. You know, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act had put limitations on NOLs. We could only write off uh, or eliminate 80% of our, our taxable income with NOLs. That has been uh, 
the restrictions have been taken off of that for 18, 19, and 20 now. And now we can carry NOLs back from any of those years, uh, five years back. And so if we're doing a cost segregation study for a client, um, let's say QIPs plays into it as well. It doesn't have to, but let's say QIP plays into it as well create a significant deduction in the current year for that taxpayer, you know, 18, 19, or even 20 at this point. And if that deduction creates an NOL, now we have the opportunity to carry that NOL back five years. And in some cases, we can go five years from 18. So we could take this potentially back all the way to 13. 13, we're going to be at a much higher tax rate than we are in, in, in 18, 19, or 20. You know, today's corporate rate's 21%. You know, back then, what, was it 35%? We carry an NOL back from today to 2013, we're going to create a permanent tax savings because we're going to take a deduction from a 21% bracket back to a 35% bracket. So we have an opportunity to help our clients just with this one change alone, the QIP change, well, two changes alone, the QIP and the NOL carrybacks now. So CARES Act really gave us an opportunity to look at a lot of our taxpayers and see if we can help them put more resources back into their business through this. Now, the CARES Act actually did some other things. In the past with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, you know, there was a limitation on interest deduction. You could elect out of that limitation from interest deduction by claiming an ADS system of depreciation compared to the general system, you know, alternative depreciation system, general depreciation system. When you did that, if you did that, those assets then that you're depreciating were not bonus eligible. Well, in the past, if we had QIP property, we didn't care that we elected out of bonus eligibility because they weren't bonus eligible because of the retail glitch. Well, if we made this election in 18 or 19 and made these assets not bonus eligible, typically that's an irrevocable election. I'm pretty sure it's an irrevocable election, but the CARES Act has been pretty generous with allowing us to revoke irrevocable elections. So we can make changes. A lot of these things need to be done through a 3115. There are different opportunities, different ways that you can make these changes. Again, it's been pretty flexible. So, so we actually have, there is planning issues here. There is planning opportunities here, if we know 2020 is going to be a significant loss and we know that, you know, 2014 or 2015 was a significant profit, you know, we may even want to wait to do a, a cost segregation study till 2020, take our 3115, take our deduction in 2020, increase that loss, carry that back further to a, you know, to a very profitable year. So there's things that, that we all have to be aware of and we all have to look in and see how we can help clients. Now, obviously, if, if cash is important today, we're probably going to want to look and see and take that on the current return, if at all possible. And so that's one opportunity we have out there. The other opportunities are one of the, the other opportunities that, that is out there. And this is an opportunity we thought was gone. Um, it's the 179D energy efficient commercial building deduction. This had expired at the end of 17, really with no signs that it was going to get renewed. It, it sat there until the end of 19. So just at the end of last year, December, the end of December last year, it got retroactively reinstated to the beginning of 18. So no lapse in the 179D deduction, which is important um, because the 179D deduction was originally defined in 06. And in reality, the things we're going to talk about here, any taxpayer that did anything that qualifies all the way to back to 06, 
now have the opportunity to take that benefit in the current year because there was no lapse in that 179D deduction. So what is 179D deduction? The energy efficient commercial building deduction there's really two main users of this benefit. First one I'm going to talk about is commercial building owners. Anybody that owns a commercial building, any of your clients own a commercial building, they did anything to that building like remodel, you know, retrofit, making some changes to it, or actually constructed that building anyway, all, all the way back to 2006 through, you know, today, if they did anything to those buildings, construction or remodel, we can look at that building and we can see if it qualifies for this deduction. And this dedu deduction is, is accelerated depreciation. So similar to cost seg from the standpoint where accelerating depreciation, in this case, we're gonna get potentially up to a dollar eighty a square foot deduction. If we can show that this building as remodeled or as constructed, let's assume it's today, is more energy efficient than it was required to be in 2007. So how do we do that? We computer model that building as if it's meeting 2007 energy usage standards, which an industry puts out. We computer model that building today as it was constructed or remodeled. We compare the two in a computer model and see if we meet certain percentages of energy usage. And if, we, if that building is 50% more energy efficient today, we get a dollar eighty a square foot deduction, so that's a nice accelerated benefit that's out there. Now, if it's not fifty percent more energy efficient, we could break it down into one one of three areas and potentially get sixty cents or a dollar twenty a square foot. And then in some cases, we can actually get thirty cents a square foot based on some other criteria. We're not going to go into that today. We just want to go over the, this quickly, just to show you that there's benefits out there. But we'll look at HVAC, we'll look at lighting, we'll look at building envelope, we'll look at those three areas and see if we can meet this, these requirements. And if so, we can get this dollar eighty a square foot accelerated depreciation deduction in this current year. Now that's the building owner. Another area which is actually people get more excited about is when we're talking about government buildings. If we're looking at the designer of the government building, the architect, the engineer, the general contractor, mechanical contractor, whoever it is that is helping this government entity design one of those three areas, HVAC, lighting, or building envelope, and those areas meet the requirement to make this building more energy efficient, that government entity can't use this deduction. So what happens is they're able to allocate this deduction to the designer of the building. So now for that designer of the building, this is not accelerated depreciation. This is you know, basically a free deduction, a Schedule M adjustment. It's going to be you know, expenses on tax return not included on books. We're, we're going to get you know, 100,000 square foot uh, you know, government building that we get an allocation to. We have a $180,000 potential, $180,000 deduction that's just going to get allocated to us. Now, the reason that this is probably more popular on this end it's a lot of times commercial building owners have so much depreciation already. Maybe they're not going to get advantage of this additional dollar eighty a square foot today. They they may tomorrow or a year after that. But we've got general contractors, architects, engineers that you know, very profitable businesses potentially that can now use this deduction and help offset some of that income. So so that's out there. Another way we can do uh, help our taxpayers with tax savings 
turning that into cash. And again, if this generates an NOL, we have those same opportunities we had with CostSeg. Can we carry that NOL back? Now, we can do a 3115 on the current year. We have to do a 3115 on the current year if this deduction was any year prior than today. But if it, we can look all the way back to 2006 for the building owner, for the designer of the government building, we have to look at any open tax year. So typically the last three or four years. Another very good opportunity out there for our taxpayers. And, and since we're talking about energy, let's talk about residential for a second. There's a credit out there for energy efficient residential properties. And this credit's available for the developers, you know, general contractors, whoever's developing this residential property if we can meet certain requirements, and it's the similar mindset of the 179D, the deduction, in this case, it's a credit, similar mindset, let's show that we're more energy efficient than you know, a certain other type of entity would be. And if we meet these requirements, as the developer, we can get up to a $2,000 per unit credit. So if we're building one home, you know, probably doesn't make sense to look at this. We have a developer that's building a... Uh, apartment building with a hundred apartments on it or a hundred condos in it, there's a $200,000 deduction sitting there for them that we just need to go and, and investigate and determine that it meets these requirements. And then all of a sudden now they've got this cash available for themselves to pay uh, their taxes. So another, another way out there to, to help, um, uh, with uh, tax savings for taxpayers. And then one last thing I just want to mention, because this is often overlooked, is the R&D tax credit. A lot of times there's confusion on the R&D tax credit. A lot of taxpayers don't think they qualify for it. Um, they, you know, they think I'm not doing anything that's new. You know, this is out there already. And that's not the requirements. The R&D tax credit's available to anybody that can meet a four-part test with their projects. So the four-part test is pretty straightforward. This is code section 41. The first part says, do we have a new or improved product or process is usually how I summarize it. But the code says, do we have a new or improved product process technique, formula, invention, or software? So it encompasses a lot of things. Number two says we have to have technology involved with this project that we're working on. So, you know, engineering, computer science, material sciences, chemistry, biology, some kind of hard science involved in the project. Pretty straightforward on those first two. Number three, and this is where confusion comes in often with the R&D tax credit. Number three is we have to have uncertainty in the project. And this is where it doesn't have to be can I even do this type of uncertainty? Is this even possible uncertainty? It can be uncertainty of, can I do this better, faster, cheaper, more efficient? If I'm manufacturing a product and it's taken me 10 minutes to manufacture this product, I can't make money at that. Can I figure out how to make this in seven minutes? Um, can I reduce the operations? I'm, I'm currently have five operations and then assembly time. Can I reduce that to three operations to reduce my assembly time? Can I reduce my waste? Can I, can I just be faster? And so that's enough uncertainty to qualify for the credit. And because we have that uncertainty, the fourth part is we're going to experiment. And experimentation is simply, you know, you know, it could be trial and error, it could be prototyping, it could be, it's evaluating different alternatives to see if we can come up to a solution to a problem we have. I need to reduce the time I'm manufacturing this product. How do I do that? 
I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try different alternatives. I'm going to redesign this part to see if I can, you know, instead of have two parts and assemble, I have one part. So, so as long as we meet those four parts, we have a project that we need to look at for the R&D tax credit. Typically, people think of this as a manufacturing credit, and it's not just a manufacturing credit. Now, software is obviously a key user of the credit, but anybody that meets that four-part test can qualify for the credit. So it's often overlooked, but anybody that's doing anything, designing, developing, testing, prototyping, um, even if it doesn't look like they're an R&D company. We have a, an insurance company that develops software to help manage their, their policies that can qualify for the credit. Insurance company doesn't look like an R&D company, but that can qualify for the credit. So, so it's just another uh, opportunity I wanted to, to present to you. These are, these are out there. They are all different ways that we can help taxpayers put money back into their businesses. And again, this is what we need to do right now. This is what's needed and everybody's used to it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's looking for the opportunities to do that. Hopefully I've educated you on additional ways you can do it. Hopefully you enjoyed this, uh, I was going to say unique podcast, but I guess that'd be a play on words, uh, a different look at things and, and not having a guest today. We will have a guest uh, back on the next show that's already lined up and in fact, it can be recorded in two days. I'm looking forward to that. So again, thank you to everybody for joining and thank you for everybody that's been listening to the podcast that I think we're on about 20 episodes now or so and you don't know how much I appreciate the, the feedback I've been getting from people on that. Thank you for joining us today and you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading edge management techniques and styles.